It's a pleasure to be with you here again this evening, and uh, we're looking forward. I think you've gotten the invitation right for the Reformation Day service uh, next Sunday night. Um, Pastor Ben uh, preached there last Sunday, not going to this Sunday because they're waiting for a baby to come. That's still on schedule? Yes? Okay. All right. Well... You know the passage from Isaiah, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And to bring comfort to comfort, it doesn't merely mean to make comfortable. You can be comfortable without ever having been uncomfortable. But if you say, I'm going over to a house to comfort a friend, well, that implies something about the situation. To give comfort indicates a situation of discomfort or grief or sadness or physical or psychological pain or loneliness or some situation that cries out for relief and comfort. It cries out for remedy. Hell is not an issue that is really cared about much in American evangelical churches today. The American church, after all, today has elections to win and financial policy to influence. Do we need comfort? And if so, what do we need comfort from? In his letter to the American church, Eric Metaxas chastised the church for neglecting her great commission, which Metaxas said was that the church see that the will of the people is done. Who has time to care about alienation from God or an eternal hell? And a pastor could empty his sanctuary pretty quickly if people ever got a whiff that he actually believed in hell and thought that it was the primary danger that his people faced. And yet for all of hell's importance in the Bible's message, the Bible doesn't say very much about hell. What it does say is shadowy and murky. But what it says is enough to get the idea that it is a place of great discomfort, of grief and sadness, of physical and psychological pain, and of crushing loneliness. And hell is not only the punishment of those who live alienated from God, who is the source of all blessing and goodness and life. But it's the lot of those who, in the words of the old hymn, make a wretched choice and would rather starve than come. The Apostle John's account of the crucifixion is short. But what it says is important. So tonight, would you linger with me at the foot of the cross? This is the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 23 through 30. 
This is God's word. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, He said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to his disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God's word. Father, as we read this passage Tonight, we stand on on holy ground in all of its grim glory. And Father, grant to us, we pray, eyes to see uh, our Savior, his love for us, what he's done for us, what he's rescued us from. May his priorities be our priorities. We ask it, O Father, for your glory and for our good and for the sake of our Savior who gave himself for us. Amen. When he was crucified, Jesus was deprived of every vestige of comfort so that he could be for us the God of all comfort. John tells us here that he was unclothed, that the soldiers took his clothes. I think that most of us could endure being unclothed in a medical situation. We've been wounded or injured and the doctors need to take our clothes to treat us. None of us would like it. We'd tolerate it because we would believe that they were acting for our benefit and our best interest. Even then, if you've ever been in that situation, it's viscerally hard. It takes an act of the will not to resist it. Because to be naked is to be vulnerable. 
You know, the, the thought of coming face to face unexpectedly with an intruder in your home is a terrifying thought. The thought of doing so when you've just stepped out of the shower is more terrifying. And our visceral loathing for nakedness goes back to the garden. We're told in Genesis 2, the man and his wife were both naked there and they felt no shame. And at that point, they'd done nothing wrong. There was no sin. There was nothing for them to fear from God or from one another. But the story continues. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate, and the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And sin brought to them an awareness and a fear of their nakedness. And this sense now that they must hide and they must cover up. They have an overwhelming sense of needing to hide from God. And they need to hide from one another and not just from the shame. Because each now has seen the sin of the other. And that tells him, tells her, something about the other, that he's capable of evil, and I have to protect myself. As he goes to the cross, Jesus is stripped bare by and in front of those who hate him and wish him ill. John doesn't report for us in his short account what the other gospel writers tell us about the mocking that he endured. But he reports that those who took his clothes, those who crucified him, now throw dice. Right there before his dying eyes, they throw dice for who will get the clothes that they've taken from him. Jesus was deprived of the scant comfort of covering. Tragic as this scene is, it's not a tragic accident. John tells us that the scene plays out in history, the words of Psalm 22 and verse 18, they divided my garments among them and cast lot for my clothing. When he was crucified, Jesus was deprived of every comfort. And so on the cross, Jesus was orphaned. We're told that there near the foot of the cross stood Mary, his mother, and these other women, and the disciple whom Jesus loved, the way that John refers to himself in this gospel. 
And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. You know, many commentators will focus on the idea that Jesus provided for Mary here by effectively making John her son in his place. Jesus provides for her a more congenial home setting. We learned in chapter 7 of John's gospel that even his own brothers hadn't believed in him. And while that may be true, Jesus' brothers would later come to believe in him, and one of them, James, would write the New Testament book that bears his name. I have no doubt that Jesus on the cross had a tender concern for his mother. But there's something else, something more here in this action. As Jesus does what he does, he essentially orphans himself on the cross. This is your mother. And of John, this is your son. Jesus here is a young man, relatively young man of 33 years old, an unmarried man. I've read reports that dying young single men will often in the throes of their death cry out for their mothers. And that's the case especially when trauma precedes death, whether that trauma be from a mining accident or a minefield or whatever it may be. There's, there's something primal in the comfort of mother. Mother is the one who first comforts us when our knees are skinned, when our hearts are broken. Most of his disciples had scattered out of fear. And now as Jesus is there on the cross, he divests himself of his last earthly comfort. Woman, this is your son. In an unfathomable mystery, when God became man, his humanity was no illusion. As a baby, he learned about God on his mother's knee. Psalm 22, we read, You have been my God from my mother's womb. But all of that comfort is now gone, swept away by his own declaration. Woman, behold your son. Jesus orphans himself on the cross. When he was crucified, Jesus was deprived of every comfort, not only of every human comfort, but of every comfort. We're told in verse 28 through 30, later, knowing that all was now completed so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, 
and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So that the scriptures would be fulfilled. But you'll note that there's no quote there. John quotes no passage of scripture to which he's referring. Now, some have seen in this a reference to verse 15 of the 22nd Psalm. It reads, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's not impossible. Their response to Jesus' words, I thirst, is the deepest cruelty. The they here that John doesn't name, certainly the soldiers Jesus, I'm sorry, Matthew tells us that before they crucified Jesus, they they had offered him wine mixed with gall. Historians and scholars tell us that that was meant to be an act of mercy. Was offered to everyone who was condemned to crucifixion. It was supposed to have an anesthetic effect. And Jesus, you might recall, had refused it. Did they think that that was bravado on his part? Were they insulted that he had spurned their offer of mercy? Is that the reason why they responded as they did when Jesus said from the cross, I thirst? You know, I've, I've read some people uh, who have opined that, uh, that they offered Jesus vinegar to drink because That's an effective thirst quencher. Uh, Not according to anything I can discover. I would imagine that none of you, when you come in from a hot day of working in the yard or cutting the lawn, look for a big glass of vinegar. And this was vinegar, pure and simple. Vinegar, you know, if if you've ever drunk it, if you've ever put it in your mouth, makes your mouth pucker and salivate. But it wasn't just vinegar. No, it was vinegar that was put on a stalk of hyssop. You know that hyssop has a culinary use? Hyssop is an astringent. It makes your mouth dry out. Giving a thirsty man vinegar and hyssop was about as cruel as you could be. Why would they do such a thing? I don't know. Maybe it was their mocking revenge for his refusal of their mercy in offering him the wine and the gall. But I think that to focus merely on the physical thirst is to miss the point. I think that when Jesus said, I thirst, he was referring to something other than merely his mouth feeling parched. John quotes portions of Psalm 22. The other gospel writers quote other parts of it. Matthew and Mark quote the opening line of it that we sang this evening, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does it feel like to be completely and utterly devoid of the presence of God? I think it feels like thirst. 
The psalmist writes in Psalm 42, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In Psalm 63, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And in Psalm 143, the enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. So that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. This is not the deprivation of mere earthly comfort, a thirst that mere water could slake. What does hell feel like? I think it feels like thirst. In Luke chapter 16, as Jesus tells a story, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, we read, so the rich man called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. When he was crucified, Jesus was deprived of every comfort, human and divine. So he could be for us the God of all comfort. He was unclothed so that he could say to us through his apostle, for we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. And he was orphaned so that he could say to us, as he did in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. And so that we would, as John tells us at the start of this gospel, that we would have the right to become the children of God. He thirsted so that he could say to us, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. This past May, I marked 30 years in the ministry. 
The evangelical church in America today is as faithless as I have ever seen it in my lifetime. They piddle with the politics of the passing hour and set aside the commission of Christ to call the naked to come and be clothed, to call the estranged and alienated from God to come and be born anew as the children of God, to call the thirsty to come and drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. Because Christ has come to be the God of all comfort. Is he the God of all comfort for you? Where is your heart? If you find yourself all the time, as you look at the events that go around us all the time, angry and agitated, dissatisfied and disgruntled, it may be, my dear friends, because you're following the rock stars of the evangelical world into their idolatry. You're looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in things that can never bring you fulfillment or satisfaction. It may be, may I say it in love, it may be that you yourself are headed for hell. And the dissatisfaction, the agitation, the fear, the anger, the hunger and thirst in you that are never satisfied are but the light pangs of what you will suffer forever. Christ came to deliver from hell. And he has accomplished it. It is finished. He was unclothed for you so that you could be clothed and not be found naked. He was orphaned for you so that the merely religious but deeply alienated from God could become really and truly the children of the living God. And he suffered the deepest thirst in his soul so that he could say to you, come and drink without cost from the water of life, I have paid. It is finished. Is he for you the God of all comfort? Have you heard him call? Will you come? Father, help us to uh, examine our hearts Lord, if there has been any idol that has crept in, I think of the Apostle John who wrote this gospel and then wrote a first letter to the churches and seemingly out of nowhere ended that letter with little children, guard your hearts from idols. Lord, because we so readily make idols, Give ourselves to things that can't satisfy. But Father, help us to see Christ and the kingdom that he came to establish by his death and his resurrection. To desire that kingdom above all deeply for ourselves. 
And then, Father, to desire that those around us, our family, our friends, those we come in contact with, that they should know and partake in and participate in this kingdom. The kingdom where we will never be devoid of clothes, never be naked. The the kingdom where we will never be orphaned and alone. The kingdom where we will never thirst without being satisfied by the springs of the water of life. Lord, grant that we pray for your great glory and for our good and for the sake of our Savior who's finished this for us. Amen.